join me in 1 Peter once again this morning. On Sundays we've been going verse by verse through 1 Peter, and we're in chapter 1 together. We left off last week there at the end of verse 21. And if you do need a Bible this morning, the men in the aisles have some copies of Scripture. They'd be happy to get one to you so you can follow along with us in God's Word this morning. Typically on Sunday morning we, we cover a little more uh, territory. Uh, this morning we're actually going to cover all of, of one verse. If we can focus your attention in on 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 22 as I was uh, preparing and considering going a little further between last week and this week. I just uh, was having a, a tough time feeling like I was trying to make verse 22 work with the prior uh, section of scripture or the scripture that we'll study next Next week together, which will be uh, predominantly about the importance of the Word of God and the Word of God's importance in our lives. And and as I kept kind of praying and working through it, I just felt like the Lord kept bringing me back to verse 22. And maybe in some senses, uh, part of that is because it's just a short exhortation, in a sense, to love one another. And you know, sometimes. Uh, we can have this tendency to just kind of let things go in one ear and out the other and kind of because it's just a, a short little statement there. Uh, I think sometimes with the area of loving one another as Christians, maybe sometimes we can become a little familiar uh, with that in such a way where we kind of just read it and gloss over it rather than really being open to responding to it and re remembering the importance of it. So sometimes less is, is more, uh, and, and I just sense that maybe the Lord would have us to just kind of meditate uh, upon this 22nd verse and this truth of the importance of loving one another. So we'll just uh, keep our focus here on the 22nd verse of chapter 1 this morning. And would you stand together with me out of respect for God's word as I read our text for this morning's message. 1 Peter 1, verse 22. Peter says, Since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit, in sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart. And Father, we ask and pray as we open the Word of God to uh, study it together this morning that your Holy Spirit would speak into our lives exactly what it is that you want for us to hear as individuals, Lord, uh, as well as just collectively as a congregation of people who assemble together in this place to worship you and uh, be a part of the family of God that assembles here in this particular location. Lord, we ask that you would prepare us, take away the distractions in our hearts and minds and the things that would keep us from hearing what you would want to say personally to us. Prepare us, Lord, and give us an ear to hear what your Spirit would say to this part of your church through this portion of your word this morning. And we thank you for your desire to speak to us and ask that you now would through your Spirit's ministry in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. You know, what do you think is probably one of the clearest indications that someone has had a genuine experience with God? A lot of times we hear people talk about having an experience with God. People write books. They show up in Christian bookstores about this incredible experience they've had with God. Uh, but what really do you think is one of, and I stress one of because I'm sure there are more than one, but one of the clearest indications that someone has had a genuine experience with God? I would answer that by saying how that person relates to people 
and treats others. I think one of the clearest indications that somebody has really had a genuine experience with the living God is it has a direct impact and effect upon how they then relate to people and treat others. And we see that both illustrated as well as taught in the Bible, that very truth. For example, by way of illustration, after Saul of Tarsus, who becomes Paul the Apostle, remember, was dramatically converted and met Jesus Christ, what was the evidence of that in his life? Well, Paul went from, if you remember, being someone whose lifestyle was about destroying people and hurting people to being someone whose life actions were marked by then helping people and serving people and loving people. And his lifestyle was dramatically transitioned to act very different towards other people. It was an evidence of the experience he had with Jesus Christ. We see the same thing taught directly just in scriptures. First John chapter 3 declares this. Listen to what John says. He says, we know, we're aware... We can prove, we know that we have passed from death to life because we love the brethren. One of the indications that we have passed from death to life, we've had a spiritual conversion, he says, is because we now love the brethren. We have a love for the family of God. It's an indication to us that that has happened. 1 John chapter 4, verse 7 and 8. There he says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. See, because God is the source of love, because God is the origin of genuine pure love, the Bible's telling us that one of the initial examinations that we can do in our own heart as well as one of the ongoing ways we can measure our spiritual temperature in our lives is simply by our love for others. And I think Peter knew this. Peter is someone, remember, who had the privilege to walk with the Lord Jesus Christ during his earthly ministry and serve directly with him. And Peter is someone who at this point has beyond the ascension of Jesus back into heaven now, someone who has been walking with the Lord for many years following that time. And he understood the value of expressing love. That the Bible tells us that as God's children, we should walk in love even as Christ has loved us. So here we find Peter in verse 22 giving instruction about the importance of God's family exercising and expressing love towards one another. And he talks here about why we do love one another, not necessarily why we should love one another, but we'll see why we actually do love one another. And he also talks to us here as we meditate upon this, I believe, about how we can then express and exercise love to one another as well. Remember the background in this section as we've been going through it is Peter at this point is now giving a series of short exhortations. He's giving a series of short exhortations basically telling us that as a result of our conversion experience, how we should now then responsively live out our lives in regards to the spiritual experience that we have happened. And our next verse now 
basically gives to us another response or result of experiencing God's salvation. And that particular response here in our verse this morning is Peter is saying, look, because you've been saved, therefore you also should now have a demonstration of God's love, this God of love that you've met flowing forth from your life as you represent him and have relationship with him. So to begin with, take note with me in our text that our verse addresses for us, as I said, it actually addresses why it is that we even do love one another among the body of Christ or the family of God. Again, not why we should love one another. That's not the point here. But why is it we actually do find that we actually have this love that we sense that we have towards one another as children of God. And once again, the Holy Spirit here through Peter's writing connects, take notice, he connects our love for one another, he connects it to our salvation. And in so doing this, what he does is he addresses the cause of our love for one another. In a sense, why it began, why we began having this love for one another, and really, as well, where the capacity to love one another comes from. And Peter tells us here, it is rooted in our salvation experience. It actually stems from the fact that we have experienced God's salvation in our lives. Take note in verse 22 here in the text, our short exhortation, it's found in those four words, love one another fervently. That's the instruction, that's the command the Bible's giving, that's the exhortation being presented to us. But notice this short exhortation to love one another. We find it sort of situated right in the middle of two bookends, if you would. And both of those bookends are references to the salvation experience. Look down with me in the 23rd verse, which we'll look at next time. The opening words of our next verse are what? Having been born again. Well, we know from prior texts exactly what that refers to. That's a reference to the spiritual conversion experience, that we're born again. We've talked about that before, and we'll talk about that next time as well. So, on one end of this exhortation, we have a reference to salvation. And what is the opening few words of what we're looking at this morning here in verse 22? The opening few words on the other book end of this exhortation to love one another. Peter says in our verse here, verse 22, since, or the idea is because, since or because you have purified your souls in obeying the truth. And in that phrase, Peter is again using another picturesque way, if you would, to refer to the salvation experience. Peter speaks of it as our soul being purified, our soul. The soul in the Bible is basically a reference to the inward man. And Peter here speaks of our inward man. He says what in the text? Being purified or, or being cleansed. And how did that happen? Well, we know that happens at the moment of conversion. At the moment when we experience God's salvation, it's at that moment when the blood of Jesus Christ cleansed us in the inward man from our own personal sin that we all commit against a holy God. The Bible tells us in Revelation 1.5 that Jesus has washed us from our sins in his own blood. See, at one point in all of our lives, 
whether we're being maybe raised in a Christian home and our parents are talking to us about the things of the Lord and explaining the gospel message to us or whether maybe you have somebody who started witnessing to you and talking to you about Jesus Christ and that God you know, has a plan for your life and he wants to provide salvation and not just that you'd be a religious person who goes and attends meetings but it really has you know, no personal connection to your life and Jesus really isn't a part of your life. He just kind of you know, a, a, a figure that you go and show and somebody begins to share the gospel message with us. And at some point in our life, whether we hear it from when we're knee high to a grasshopper or we're, you know, 53 years old and the first time we ever hear about Jesus Christ loves us and he wants to save us. And we're we're beginning then to understand about the forgiveness of Jesus and the salvation God wants to provide for us. And we're really starting to grasp what Jesus himself said in John chapter 3, which, of course, we all know where he said, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son so that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. And then he goes on to say, For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, what? but that the world might be saved through him. And that all starts to come together for us. And we, we, we're now starting to grasp, okay, I'm understanding this. I'm actually a sinner. And I've offended a holy God. And in thought, word, and deed, I've done things. And I have a sense of guilt in my conscience. And I know that I've, I've made mistakes. And like everybody else on this earth, I've failed. I've sinned. I've done things wrong. Whether I, you know, as much as someone else, just like everybody else, I make mistakes. I'm imperfect and I'm a sinner. And, I, and we begin to grasp that. But we also tie together with that. But the wonderful news is, from what I'm hearing, there's a God who loves me. And he didn't want me to, to go to hell. He doesn't want me to experience the punishment I do deserve for my sin, which is to suffer eternal torment in hell. And therefore, he, he actually sent his own begotten son, Jesus Christ, to come to this earth. And God became man, and he lived in a body of flesh like me, and he lived the sinless, perfect life that I can't live, and he did it for me. And then, after Jesus lived the perfect life to fulfill that righteous requirement of heaven, he then suffered and died in my place. And his blood was shed, and he was punished for my sin in place of me, and he died and he rose again. And now, if I just believe in Jesus, and I ask him to save me as the Savior, I can be forgiven of my sins. And I can escape eternal death, and I can experience eternal life in heaven. And at the moment, listen... We hear about it and we understand it, but then at the moment, and these are different, at the moment we then exercise our personal faith to respond to that truth. It's one thing to know that truth. It's another thing to respond to that truth in a personal way. And the moment after understanding that, we obediently respond to that truth by accepting the free invitation and receiving the gift of God, which is eternal life. And that must happen. Somebody can present you a gift and you can understand it's been given to you, paid for, provided for you, offered to you. And you can say, you know, I understand that it's offered, but I don't want it. And we can do that. And in the same way, we understand salvation, we all understand it's offered, we, we grasp the concepts and the terms, but there must come a point where we then respond to it and we exercise our faith to obediently respond to that truth by accepting Jesus, submitting to his lordship in our lives. And it is at that moment, at that moment then, that the blood of Jesus Christ, the Bible says, cleanses us from all sins, or as Peter says here, it's at that moment our soul is purified and forgiveness takes place internally in our lives. Well, it's at that moment then 
of being born again or experiencing salvation that we then become a child of God. We've now been born again. We become a child of God. And as a result of that, we enter into God's spiritual family and listen how this connects just like a natural born child. When a child is born into a family, they automatically have an inborn love towards their parent and they automatically have an inborn love towards their siblings. It's just kind of hardwired in there. It just happens. Automatically, when a child is born, they grow up with an automatic love for their parents. They have an automatic love for their siblings. It's just kind of there. It's just innately in them. It's, it's created there. And in the same way spiritually, listen, in the same way spiritually, when someone becomes a child of God, the same thing happens. There's an automatic inborn love for the heavenly father because he's your father. And there's also an automatic inborn love for the children of God because they now become your brothers and sisters in the Lord. And that is what Peter in our verse is also alluding to here. This idea in the language Peter is saying since or because you have purified your soul since or because you have been born again and become a child of God. As a result, he says, you now have a notice the term a now have a love for the brethren. That is, you now have a love for the family of God, for other believers. As a result of experiencing God's salvation and becoming his child, we then discover that we have developed now this new love in our hearts for God and this new love in our hearts for God's family that we have now become a part of in the spiritual family. So the Bible's indicating the cause of why we actually do love one another among the family of God is directly connected to what we've experienced with God. Now, maybe I could be more honest than others would prefer to be, but I mean, honestly, ha have you ever just stepped back and wondered why it is that you actually like, and even more than that, you actually love the people that you're connected to in the church that you attend or among the Christians that you know? I mean, when you look at the group, have you ever said, look, why in the world do I like these people? I mean, just look around this room. There's the potential in a room like this, the differences that we have. I mean, there's the potential for a nuclear explosion in here. Why in the world do I like these people? I, you know, from a natural perspective, you know, personalities and lifestyles and temperaments. I mean, I look at people that I have a connection to among God's family that I think to myself, apart from the Lord, I would hate that person. You know, I would never spend time with them. I wouldn't enjoy them. They're nothing like me. You know, their personality, their life. And why, why do I like this person? More than that, why do I find I actually love this person? I, I want to spend time with them. I have, a, I have an interest in wanting to care about them and, and to be connected to them and spend time with them relationally. I'll tell you why. Because it's, it's supernatural. It's because you're brothers and sisters. It's because you're brother and brother or sister and sister. And something spiritually has happened just like in a natural family. My children are extremely different, very different. And as a result of that, they have issues on occasion. But they love one another. Why? Because they're siblings. It's genetically hardwired, naturally. And the same way, it's spiritually hardwired. That's why we, we experience this love for the brethren. 
This is how we recognize what, what, what's the cause of that. Well, the cause is the experience that we've had with God. Our once polluted heart that was selfishly oriented, that would just choose to be with people that we liked for our own selfish purposes. When that soul is purified through the spiritual experience of salvation, our heart changes. Our whole inward person is transformed. And all of a sudden now we see clearly and we view people the way God views people. And we care about the things that God cares about. And God's a father. Guess what God cares about? His children. So now we care about God's children because we're a part of God's family. And now we view things the way God views things. And we view fellow Christians as family members, a part of God's family. And there's this inborn, automatic kind of familial love that we find in our hearts, we discover that we have for one another in our spiritual family. And there's a sense of connection and this togetherness that we experience that term love of the brethren there in verse 22 speaks of a familial love it's the, the, the word where we get the word philadelphia or brotherly love in today's language and the term that peter uses there implies a fondness or an interest of sharing in one another's company and a desire to care for one another that's the term he uses there you know we say things uh, in our language today like you know birds of a feather flock together and we understand the concept behind that well i think in the same way spiritually sort of you know sheep of the great shepherd they flock together they do the same thing when you're a sheep of the great shepherd and you truly are a sheep you flock together with other sheep and there's this connection because we live and we've all been saved according to the same spiritual truth in jesus as a result we find a connection there and there's a tremendous sense of connection and interest in one another there relationally. I mean, Jesus himself even referred to this in Matthew chapter 12, verse 47 to 50. They came to Jesus on one occasion and they said to him, Jesus, look, your mother and your brothers are standing outside seeking to speak with you. And listen to what Jesus said. He answered and said to those who told him, who is my mother and who are my brothers? And he stretched out his hand toward his disciples and said, here are my mother and my brothers for whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and my sister and my mother again jesus wasn't trying to disrespect natural family relationships the word of god says honor mother and father and, and, and god's not trying to diminish the value of natural family but what god's doing is showing how spiritually there's this tremendous value that we come into experiencing as a child of God when we become connected to the spiritual family. And I will tell you, sometimes we experience a deeper sense of connection and closeness and caring and experience of love for one another. Is it not true among our spiritual family than some of us even do among our natural family? And that's just kind of a part of the experience. And I'm not diminishing that, that we should devalue our natural family, but there's a bond that's there in, in being brothers in Christ and you know sisters in Christ. There's something that's there. It's supernatural. And Jesus understood it. Jesus experienced it, and we do as well. So we see where this love for the brethren, love for the family of God comes from. It's because we were all born of the same spiritual family. And God placed that love into our hearts. Now, even as God saving us was the cause of the start of that love in our heart, in the same way, it goes without saying then, and the Bible teaches, that the capability to continue to love one another practically, that must come from God. 
God is, the Bible says, the source and origin of love. We read earlier the Bible verse, God is love. It also says in the Bible, love is of God. It comes or stems from God. So it is only through my relationship with God and your experience with God that we then are able to express genuinely love to other people. I'm a firm believer. I don't think it is possible to know the full experience of human love the way God intended it to be until you have allowed yourself to experience the love of God. And as you experience the love of God, you then just become a channel and a conduit to express and experience that love. And love can go to a whole nother level. You think your marriage is good now? Fall in love with God and experience God's love for yourself as a husband and wife and then watch what the love in your marriage can become like. I don't think we really understand the realities of what we can experience until we experience God's love and then we express it. And that comes through relationship with him as, as a channel. Again, can I remind you, Galatians chapter 5 in our Bible tells us what? The fruit of the Spirit is what? Here's your chance to answer. It's what? Love. The fruit, the manifestation, the evidence of God's Spirit at work in a person's life, the Bible says, is love. Listen to me. A lot of people want to put emphasis on, well, if you're really spiritual, or you've had a real spiritual encounter, or you've been filled with the Holy Spirit, well, the primary manifestation of that will be these experiential things, or you know, you, you seem really anointed or you can speak in tongues or you can prophesy or, and I'm not diminishing those things. I believe in the gifts of the Spirit and their present operation. But I tell you this, God says in His Word, the fruit, the primary evidence of the Spirit of God at work in our lives is love. Love. Because God is love. 1 Corinthians 13, right in the middle of chapter 12 and 14, which is a dissertation on the gifts of the Spirit, says, but the greatest of these is love. And without love, I can speak in the tongues of men and angels. I can give my body to be burned. I can give all I own to the poor. And God says, if you don't have love, it all means nothing. It all means nothing. So important. You know, simply profound, but profoundly simple. And yet often we overlook that and we esteem other things and we miss the value and the importance of love. Again, as you think about the word love, the Lord put something in my heart many years ago as I was pondering and working through some of these things in my own life and feeling a sense of conviction of the lack of love in my own life a number of years ago. And as I was just seeking to ponder love and what it meant in God's love, again, sort of as a visual reminder, we spell the word love, L-O-V-E. And I've always remembered what love really is and what love looks like, L-O-V, as, as taking that word. Letting others value excel. Letting others value excel. That's a good description and reminder illustratively of what love is. Because think of God's love for us. What did God do? God let our value Excel everything else even to the point where he would let his own dear son experience the pain and punishment and he would let our value excel so much that he would give his absolute best. It's a demonstration of God's love for us. He let our value excel 
So he sacrificed so that we might be benefited. And you know what? When you think about, well, what does it mean to love someone? How am I loving someone? Well, there's a constant reminder. Letting another person's value excel your own. Your own wants, your own desires, your own needs, your own rights. Let someone else's value excel. Put their value as more than yours and therefore treat them, respond to them in that way. And it's a great way to manifest practically the love of God through a reminder in your own mind. So this love of God, again, it's important to be able to experience God's love to then express God's love because, again, we're a family. And if you know anything about family life, which most of you do, though families do have, as I said earlier, this inborn love toward one another, it's kind of just ingrained in there. You love your brother, you love your sister, you love your parent, you love your child. You have a love toward one another, but is it not true as you live out day-to-day life? You also still have to continually seek to exercise love for one another in day-to-day living. Because family life, if you factor in the dynamics of what it's like to live together as a family, family dynamics are, you know, they're kind of like gears in a machine. And gears function together by necessity, but gears also grind on one another, if you understand what I mean by that. They function together the way they're supposed to, but they kind of grind on one another on occasion. And that's in many ways an illustration of kind of what family life is like. You know, and maybe recently you've been experiencing this among those that you love. You love them. Of course you have love toward them. They're your husband. They're your wife. They're your children. That's your parents. And, or this is you know, someone that, somebody that you genuinely love. And you fo- but, but recently, you just, even though you love them, you've just kind of been grinding on one another. They've been grinding on you and, and, and there's been friction and, and when metal grinds, there's sparks and, and, and things happen. And, but that's the reason why Peter says, listen, you got to love one another. You got to be willing to love one another in the egg. I know you have love toward that person, but you also have to demonstrate love for that person by seeking to love one another. Peter says here, we must, though we have a love for one another, we must also seek to love one another fervently. And interesting at the end of verse 22, when he comes to the exhortation, love one another, you don't see it in the English, but he actually changes his term there. And now he uses the word love, he uses that Greek word, many of us know that word agape which is that term that describes an unconditional love or a sacrificial love by choice, which is independent of feelings. It's independent of what the response is to it. It's independent of treatment, of how I've been treated. It is an unconditional, sacrificial choice to express love no matter how I feel about you, no matter how you treat me, no matter how you respond to my love, It's a choice to exercise love. It's not a responsive love like phileo and some of the other terms the Bible uses regarding love. It is the love that God has for us because it's pure and perfect. God loves you unconditionally. He doesn't care where you're at this morning. Maybe you've been blowing it. Maybe you've been acting like a jerk. Maybe you've made some mistakes. Maybe you've spit in God's face. He still loves you just as much as when you weren't doing that. He loves you because he chooses to love you in his very nature. It's a choice to love. It's an unconditional love. You can't make God stop loving you. You can try, but you can't. 
He'll still love you. No matter what you do, you can walk further away from him today and he'll still love you just as much. It doesn't matter what grievous thing you've done in your past. Oh, I just, I know God loves other people, but I've done this. And I have this stain in my past and it's the worst kind of stain. Listen. The Bible says that though our sins are scarlet, the blood of Jesus can make us white as snow. There's no stain or failure or mistake you can make to diminish God's love for you. He loves you. And no sin is worse than any other sin. God loves you. You can't stop him from loving you. That love is unconditional. It's continuous. It's the love God has for us. And as a result as well, it's the type of love God calls us to express towards one another via his help. And as we know God and we experience his love for us and become a channel, then by his supernatural assistance, God can give us a supernatural measure of his love to be able to express that love towards one another in our relationships. You know, that potent little phrase there, love one another, that was not Peter's original idea. He stole that terminology from Jesus himself because the very first time we find that phrase, love one another, in our Bibles... We find it on the lips of Jesus when he was speaking to his 12 disciples the last night he was with them and giving them instruction of how they should interact with one another and treat one another in their relationships. John chapter 13 is where we find it, where Jesus, remember, after humbly serving his disciples, as I think Jesus often did. Remember when he washed their feet in that story? I I think that was just one of many occasions where Jesus humbly, sacrificially, serve those who are among him as just a simple humble servant to show love for them and it was in that moment jesus said these words john 13 verse 34 and 35 jesus said to his disciples a new commandment i give to you that you love one another as i have loved you that you also love one another by this all will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another so again jesus commands them to love one another and he says there's a cause behind that as well it's not just so that you might experience love in your relationships and the way you treat one another but he says that will be the greatest manifestation that you're actually connected to me he says by this by this not quoting bible verses not acting spiritual in public you know not not all the other by this All men will know that you're connected to me by your love for one another. That is people, Jesus said, as they observe you as a group of brothers and sisters, as the early Christians, as they observe you loving each other and letting each other's value excel in the way you treat one another and care for one another and the distinction of that from the world, Jesus said that's how people will know that you're connected to me by that love for one another. And again, that's a repeated phrase we find throughout the New Testament. The Holy Spirit seems to be reminding us continuously. It's stated six times in John's writings. John says, this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us. And then he says, beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Paul the Apostle states it multiple times. In 1 Thessalonians 4.9, he says that we are taught by God to love one another. One of the things we sense God constantly teaching us in our hearts internally, Tony, you need to love people. And it's almost, it's just a constant lesson God's saying, I know, I know, I know there's tension between you right now, but you got to love one another. You got to love one another. 
And the Lord's always teaching us that. He's reminding us of that. Romans 13, verse 8 says, Owe no one anything. Imagine that at Christmas season. Maybe that's a word from the Lord. Careful with your credit card. Oh, no, I'm just joking. Owe no one anything except to love one another. The Bible says, listen, the only ongoing obligation and debt you should have to anybody is to keep loving them. That's great advice. Owe nobody anything except, you know what, the one thing I always owe you is my love. To keep loving you, to continuously love you. The Bible says in 1 Thessalonians 3, and may the Lord make you increase and abound in love to one another. Again, the Bible is giving us lessons on relationship life among the family of God. Well, Peter here in this verse, by using two words, also describes to us how we should express and exercise love for one another. The two words he uses to characterize the love we should have shows us how to go about loving one another. And first of all, I think he points out in verse 22 that we should love one another, we could say genuinely. Genuinely or unhypocritically. He says there, notice in verse 22, referring to love, he says sincere love. That our love should be genuine and sincere towards one another. Through God's help, we should seek, like God, who genuinely and sincerely loves people, to love one another in the same way. Indicating, again, we should not be hypocritically pretending to be loving and like we care when we really don't. God doesn't desire us to conduct ourselves in that way, nor to be acting deceptively towards one another as the world so often does. And people read through that. And they get burnt and they get hurt by that. So often in our world, many times, people will you know, kind of lie and cover things up by acting loving when really they just have a selfish agenda. So they smooth talk or they you know, butter up or kiss up with their words and all these kind of And they act loving because they have an agenda. You know, a guy takes a guy out and he talks to her and he sweet talks her because he's looking to get something sweet for himself afterwards. He doesn't love her. He's got an agenda. He's got an agenda. He's just covering up an agenda. And in the same way, sometimes, again, we, we, we cover up and act loving to try and just avoid tension. Well, that's not love. Love interacts with somebody. There's tension. I want to act like nothing happened. No, we need to talk about it. Need, that's love. Love communicates and, and, and doesn't try and just avoid and push things aside. And again, the Bible's telling us we should be cultivating sincere love, genuine love. Love that has a love whereby in our relationship experiences, in the way we interact, we're sincere and genuine. We're open. We're direct with one another. We're honest in our dealings with each other. Why? Because we truly care about one another and we value one another. And I think that happens in a number of ways. For example, where we speak the truth in love. We speak the truth in love. It, you know, oh, I want to be loving, so I better not tell them what I think. That's not loving. That's just avoiding conflict. Well, I'm going to tell them what I think. Well, that's good you're going to tell them what you think. <laughs> but if you don't say it in a loving way, it's going to cause an eruption. And you're just going to create more wounds than you are help through the communication. Speak the truth in love. We should speak the truth because we love someone, but we should speak the truth in a loving way when we tell them. That's a way that we love one another sincerely. Again, how else do we love one another sincerely? Well, I think offering a sincere apology. Lots lot of people, well, I'm sorry. No, how about, would you forgive me? Very different. I'm sorry. Well, I'm sorry, then, all right? I'm sorry. What do you want? I'm sorry. 
That's not love. How about I apologize and would you please forgive me? Because very different, that's sincere love. So many times we forget these things, expressing genuine gratitude because we sincerely appreciate something or you know, not pretending we care when we truly don't. You don't have to pretend you care. If you don't care, ask God to, to help you care. But don't pretend you care in a situation when you genuinely don't. That's not good. And, and I think we should be sincerely concerned about people. Not again, acting like, are you sincerely concerned? Am I sincerely concerned about a person in a situation? And again, making genuine sacrifices to serve and bless people. That when we sacrifice in love, it's genuine. There's no hidden agenda. There's no ulterior motive in my heart or in my mind when I'm making some sacrifice or I'm doing something. Again, 1 Timothy 1 says that we should develop love from a pure heart and a good conscience. John, writing about the same kind of sincerity and love, says, let us not love in word and tongue, but in action and in truth. A sincerity to our love. I think when people think about the love of Jesus Christ, that most people picture a very authentic, sincere love. And let us emulate the same as we have a relationship with Jesus, that we'd have a sincerity about our love and there'd be a genuine love that we express. So we should love one another genuinely and sincerely. And Peter also says here very clearly in verse 22, secondly, that we should love one another fervently. Fervently, he says. That your translation may say deeply, intensely. The term Peter uses in the original language speaks of that picture of when somebody is running a race and they're competing against others and at the very end when they get to the finish line they stick their chest forward they strain every muscle they have to push themselves forward to reach their goal and to succeed in the absolute utmost effort possible that they can give that's the term there when he uses the word fervently and it's a picture of how we should exercise similar zeal and similar determination in our efforts to love one another. That we should put forth like that runner who gives everything they have and they're not, you know, kind of dispassionate and apathetic and like, well, whatever, I mean, just... You know, just it. No, they give everything they have. They put effort into it. They're dedicated to it. They're determined. They're driven to want to be successful in that victory and the Bible's saying, look, that's how we should be towards loving one another. We should love one another fervently. We should actually be driven to want to succeed in the area of loving one another. Now, to me, that's profound as I thought about this week because as human beings, and let me go a step further because I love our nation. As Americans, we are a driven, dedicated people. Americans understand dedication and being driven and being devoted to goals and achieving things and, and, and doing all we can. And, and the Bible's saying, look, that's the same kind of dedication we should put in wanting to succeed with loving somebody. Again, I say that this morning because the Holy Spirit's reminding us that we shouldn't be passive and lazy in this area of trying to love one another. We shouldn't be the type of individual who's quick to give up on somebody. We shouldn't be quick to toss in the towel on relationships or give up on an individual or quit on people in our relationships. Instead, we should be proactively trying to love one another with every ounce of effort that we have. Instead, we should be trying to put forth the best effort with God's help to love people, whether it's cultivating 
an existing love and making it grow deeper, listen, or whether it is putting forth effort to regain and restore fading love that we realize is diminishing. We should put forth everything we have. Again, we are so driven and dedicated to so many other things in life. And I have to ask myself, and I have to ask you, why are we not that driven and dedicated to loving one another? If many of us put as much drive and dedication into loving our spouse or loving our children or loving our parents or loving people in the body of Christ or loving people that we have a connection to in our school or that we interact with in our workplace, if we put as much drive and dedication into loving one another as we do trying to achieve goals and and, and all the hobbies and other interests we get, can you imagine? My question is, what would the church look like? What would the church really begin to look like? What would families begin to look like? What would marriages become like if we did that and we let everything we do be done with love? I'll tell you something from a personal perspective as a husband and a father. Above all else, I pray in my family that my family above all else would sense an atmosphere of love. I'll be the first to tell you because I'm the worst at it. My family may not be the funnest family because I'm not the funnest guy. That's why I married a really fun gal to help balance me out. That's very social or I would have no friends at all. <laughs> I, we may not have the funnest family. We may not have the most wealthy family that we can afford everything. We may not have the most freedom in my family that, as other families do. But I'll tell you this. I pray that my home would be an atmosphere of love. Where the, like, it wasn't the funnest family. It wasn't always the most freedoms. We didn't have as much finance. But, but man... There was love in our house. There was love in our house. You know, Proverbs tells us in chapter 15, verse 17, better is a dinner of herbs where love is than a fatted calf with hatred. Great advice. I'll tell you from a ministry perspective and a church fellowship I know because I'm the one that teaches here, we may not always have the best sermons, we may not always have the best teaching. Though I think our music is wonderful and we have gifted people, we, I don't know, we may not always have as good as music as other fellowships that can really rock it out. We may not have all the best technology or be the most hip or cool church or a variety of every ministry program available under the sun. Yet I pray, and I ask for your help and cooperation, I pray that we would be a fellowship with the most love. I pray that we would be a congregation of people who are marked by people are loved well. They're loved well. And they experience the love of God above everything else. I think that is the greatest accomplishment and a great compliment to any congregation as well because love is the most powerful force among people. It's the most powerful force in human hearts. It's amazing the power of love. Describing the fruit of God's agape love in 1 Corinthians 13, it says love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. When you look at that term in the original language, love never fails, it literally says this, love holds its place. It holds its place. It's committed. Committed. It understands commitment and loyalty. You know, I got my wife a plaque a number of years ago because we love one another tremendously. 
But we're radically different human beings. Radically different. We have Jesus and children in common. That is it. 19 years, we still have not found another thing in common other than Jesus and children. It's who we are. We make a great team. I wouldn't have married anyone else under the sun if I had a chance to do it all over again. But guess what? Our gears grind on one another regularly. We function well together, but we grind on one another once in a while. And I got our plaque a number of years ago. It hangs in our bedroom. It says, forever, for always, no matter what. Forever, for always, no matter what. Because love never fails. It holds its place. You know, maybe in your life, potentially, there's someone in your life that God is calling you to love fervently. Maybe it's your spouse. Maybe it's your children who have been putting you through a time of difficulty and the Lord's saying, but be fervent. Love them fervently. Put everything you got to keep loving them. With all you got, keep loving them. Maybe it's your parents. Maybe it's someone who's mistreated you in your family and there's a struggle and a tension and, and maybe God's calling. Maybe it's somebody in the body of Christ, a fellow Christian. And the Lord's calling you to love them fervently. And perhaps you wonder, man, oh man, I mean, how long will you keep talking about love one another? We get the point, it's one verse. Love one another. Well, turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 4, and I want to close here with showing you one other thing that Peter says, and we'll conclude our time. 1 Peter 4. This is why this whole issue, in many ways, of loving one another is so important. 1 Peter 4, beginning in verse 7. Peter's going to say this, But the end of all things is at hand, Therefore, be serious and be watchful in your prayers. Look at verse 8. And above all things, which means what? As the primary, most important thing. And above all things, have fervent love for one another. And then he quotes the word of God from Proverbs. For love will cover a multitude of sins. Above all, love one another, he says, for love will cover a multitude of sins. I like that. Love covers. Stick with me here this morning. When you cover something, whether it's clothing on your body or you're covering a monument, you don't want someone to see it till you unveil it. When you cover something, you're hiding it from view. You're putting it out of sight. And the Bible is telling us that love becomes a covering for the sins, the failures and the mistakes of other people. In a sense, it's the power of love that takes our focus off of the errors and flaws and shortcomings and sins of another person. It's the power of love in our heart that does that. The power of love finds the ability to overlook the mistakes of someone else, to overlook the failures of someone else, to overlook the offenses of someone else. Love covers a multitude of sins. We say in our culture, love is blind. Well, that's not just true in regards to romantic things. I think that's true in regards to loving one another in every way. It is amazing to find how when we ask God to give us love in our heart, to love one another and to express it, how we can really overlook a lot of things. Oh, man, look, hey, it's covered, man. It's covered. It was covered by the blood of Jesus. And I love you and you love me. It's covered. And, and, and you can overlook things. And here's even better. You can let go of things. It doesn't have to be your focus anymore. Oh, they did that to me. 
oh, they hurt me, they wounded me. And, and it becomes your focal point. It becomes a shrine that you can't stop worshiping. You can let it go. You can, it, it's covered. I love you. It's covered. I, and, and you can just let it. And it's so freeing. And it's so powerful. So again, can I encourage you this morning that above all else, in your marriage, in your relationships, in the body of Christ, let us love one another. And if you struggle doing that, listen, you can't resolve to be more loving. But you can resolve to go to God and say, God, you are love, so would you fill me with your love so that I can love other people? And he will do that supernaturally in your life.